welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. We're in our series uh, back again. We started up again last week in 1 Samuel. We were in chapter 16, the first half of it. Today we're going to go through the second half. Uh, The theme about it, it goes from David's anointed the king to David comforts Saul. It's quite an interesting passage as you think of all that's taken place there. And if you just recap a little bit, I love the verse number 13. It's a great verse as you think about the, uh, what had happened. And the Bible says this in verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, that's David, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Everybody loves a good ending to a story. And if that's where the story would have ended, man, what a great story. Yeah, and David's anointed king, and then we move forward in that, but there's lots of stuff, lots of loose ends that still take place. What about Saul, who's still the current king? What's going to happen with the Philistines in relationship to this? What's going to happen to the children of Israel? How are they going to respond to this little kid, so to speak, that his dad didn't even put forth, and yet he's going to be the king of the land? There's a lot of question marks, a lot of what-ifs, a lot of what's-next type of a situation to be considered. So what I want to do today is walk you through this passage, starting in verse number 14, you don't have a Bible and you want to follow with us, there's Bibles in front of you there. You can turn to page 305 in that if you'd like to follow along as well. Or we'll be in 1 Samuel 16 and starting in verse number 14. When you see in the first part of there, you're going to find as we read here, a tormented king. A tormented king. And we see in verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. As much as I love verse 13 and as it ends on the happy story concept, verse, I'm sorry, verse 13, verse 14, in my opinion, is one of the most tragic verses you read in the Bible. You see a man who had all the potential in the world. I mean, his his beginnings where he was concerned about his ability to be king was certainly a situation would make all of us go, well, that's awesome that he was in that state of mind, and yet it quickly changes And due to Saul's self-centeredness, due to Saul's stubbornness, and due to Saul's pride, God has to tear away the kingdom of Israel from Saul. And really, it's a huge wake-up call to all of us that no matter how much potential a person may have, when we think we deserve, when we think that we've arrived, when we think that we know better, then we are in for a big surprise. Kids think that they know better than their parents. Spouses think they know better than their, than their other spouse. Employees think they know better than their bosses. People think they know better than leadership. And yet, it's interesting how God always establishes in his structure of things, from hearing in Leviticus, as Terry shared, all through, God is a God of structure and order and chains of command. And it isn't amazing how much the devil provokes in us this kind of ire we have towards anybody telling me what to do. We like our way. We like our independence. And we might not be able to stomp our feet and shake our fists like we are when we're three years old, but we still have our ways of throwing fits about the chains of command. And Saul had God ultimately over him, but his spokesperson, Samuel, who spoke directly to him about those things, and yet Saul thought that he knew best, and again, he allowed his self-centeredness, his stubborn, and his pride to prevent him 
from really listening. And as a result, the Spirit of God leaves him. And a tormenting spirit comes upon him. Now, the whole Spirit of God leaves him is interesting. And, and you know, well, can, can the Spirit of God be on more than one person? Absolutely. We know that because the Bible indicates if you are a child of God, then the Spirit of God inhabits you at the point of salvation. So we know that's the case. This was more symbolic of that now as David was moving into that role, although it would be several years before he actually became king, he had that Spirit of God on him to start to guide, direct, and influence him in supernatural ways, knowing many of the things that he was going to have to deal with, which we're going to be uncovering as we go through 1 Samuel here. And it's interesting to note that although Saul was a deeply flawed individual already, now that the Spirit of God wasn't upon him, those negative things and the things that he struggled with in his life were now going to become much more pronounced. And you think in our own lives, if you're a child of God, when we try to live outside of allowing the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the church that God desires us to be a part of, that's really, we get into to waters that can be very choppy, because that's not God's plan, and our mind can become our own worst enemy. And we can get ourselves in lots of trouble when we go, I don't have to listen to the Spirit of God, I can reject the Word of God, I, I forsake the, 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 the structure of the, the church that God puts together, I'm going to do this my own way, blaze my own path be my own man or my own woman. And here's Saul now, who had the Spirit of God to help him, even in his struggles we see where he failed, and now the Spirit of God's gone. And his flaws become magnified in his life. And then we see the Bible says <clears throat> that a harmful spirit descends on Saul. Now I think it's important that we understand what this is all talking about. There's some misnomers out here on what this means. This does not mean that God inhabited Saul with a harmful spirit or a demonic spirit. It doesn't mean that the struggles that Saul had, he struggled with his mental health, he struggled with his ability to be able to maintain communication with other people in a proper way, his hatred, those were just exaggerated things that were already going on in him. None of them were as a result of this tormenting spirit or harmful spirit or some, uh, um, some one breakdown in definition would be a terrifying spirit. It wasn't any of those situations that were taking place that it was uh, affecting him in that way. It was exacerbating or magnifying the things that he already struggled with. And although Saul is affected holistically by the removal of the Spirit of God, that harmful spirit never possessed Satan. Excuse me, that harmful spirit never possessed Saul. He did consistently, but not always, periodically, he was tormented, though, by this, by this evil spirit, by this harmful spirit. And like I said, he magnified the already weak and selfish qualities that Saul was already, had already exhibited in the past. And this is the only time that we see, by the way, in the Old Testament that God released this tormenting spirit, but it happens often in the New Testament. In fact, you're going to see in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, if you want to make a note of this in your notes to look up later, story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, you're going to see where, um, where they're confronted, Ananias and Sapphira, saying, hey, you've allowed Satan to inhabit and direct, not inhabit, but to direct you and influence your thinking. You think of the story in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul challenges the man who took his father's wife, and Paul says that the church, you're supposed to give him over to Satan as a result of his choices. And then we also see in 1 Timothy, in fact, his first letter there in chapter 1, Timothy is told by Paul to give Hymenaeus and Alexander over to the devil or that he had done that. So God's desire isn't to have, is to have his people follow God himself. However, you do see on several occasions where God releases 
these individuals and the devil swoops right in because he's looking for those opportunities to take advantage of believers and to be able to impact them negatively. Now, let me state this very clearly, though, so we understand this. If you're a child of God, you can be tormented and even tempted by the evil one. But mark my words on this, okay? You can never be indwelt by the devil or his minions if you're a child of God. They can oppress, but they cannot possess. They can oppress, but they cannot possess. Remember 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's an important verse for us to understand. We have the ability due to the indwelling of the Spirit of God and the Word of God to always defeat the evil one and his minions. And I believe that's also why he has the family of God around us to help us through those difficult times. So Saul's now here without the Spirit of God. He has this harmful, evil spirit that's plaguing him on a consistent and periodic basis. He's in rough shape. In rough shape. In verse 15 says, And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Obviously, it was obvious to others as well. Verse 16, Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who's skillful in playing the lyre or lyre, I'm sure I'm not saying that right. Uh, it's a form of a harp, so we can use that. that. To play this instrument, and when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he'll play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well, and bring him to me. Bring him to me. Then we see the next person that comes on the scene is a talented shepherd. So as Saul's there, his servants recognize, and you see that heart for them, Although I'm sure they were scared to death by some of the actions that Saul had, they still were compassionate about him. They still sought for ways that they could try to impact him for the Lord. They still wanted to be an encouragement to him. But it impacted him in powerful ways. And it's interesting how music is such a powerful medium, for good or for bad. I mean, there's good things. You think of you know, music that gets us all riled up and music that can calm us down and can bring a soothingness to our soul. And it's interesting to note in this year of selfless service how we see David out in the, sh in, the sh in the field still being a shepherd. This is the newly anointed king, folks. This is the guy that could say, I'm, I'm going to be the guy running this country, and his dad still has him out taking care of the sheep. And then he gets called by Saul to come and serve in a menial way by just playing music for the king. And in our year of selfless service as a church, our focus on that, it's interesting how we are come face to face with David. And one of the things that sets him apart from Saul is David had a servant's heart in what he did. Now, my brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you. It is very, very easy to lose a servant's heart. It's very easy to feel as if you are owed by others. Now, I'm not even going to say that others shouldn't do certain things to serve you at times. And yet, when we live in that mindset that we expect other people to exist to serve me, then we miss the concept of what Scripture is all about and the many examples of that, David being one of those. And the ultimate example being our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am so grateful to God that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't say, are you kidding me? You want me to go down to that planet? You want me to give my life for those people? Are you kidding me? 
He didn't. He lived that selflessness. Here's David out playing his harp. And what do we see happens in verse number 18? One of the young men answered, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who's skillful in playing, so he was talented in his instrument. He was a man of valor. That's a man of character, uh, a man of strength, of courage. A man of valor, it says there in verse number 18. A man of war. Now, some believe that this may have been as a result of his, um, his family, were, had he had family members that were warriors. In fact, you're going to see in the next chapter how his brothers end up going out to fight when the Philistines and Goliath and all that. That's next chapter. We'll see that next week. But here's a situation where some may believe that he came from that family or were they referring to the time that he was known as a man of war because he took on the bear and the lion um, at this time and so he's kind of known for his ferocity. We're not sure about that, but those are a couple of speculations in relationship to that. So it says a man of war, prudent in speech. In other words, when you heard what he said, you knew you could believe it. Boy, wouldn't that be more refreshing in a more ongoing way in our society? <laughs> That when, when people said things, we knew that what they were saying, that they had truth there in what they did. A man of good presence, he handled himself well, was, was able to be noted by others as a person who had um, the ability to capture your attention and to draw you to himself. Um, a man of good presence, and here's the most important part, and the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. And I just want to encourage everyone here. If you're a child of God and you have none of those talents, <laughs> those qualities, if you're here as a child of God, you have the Lord with you. And folks, if the Lord is with you, you can handle no matter what comes your way. He is ever present in us as his children. And he wants you to be reminded of that when the devil whispers in your ear that you're a failure, you're a washout, you're no good, you can't do it, you should give up, you should quit. Whatever the lies are that are out there, Remind yourselves, folks. Again, I go back to 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if we are his children, he is in us. But David was given these talents. And by the way, it was a reputation that was worth having. It's great to be, though, be recognized for those things. But I just want to encourage you. Allow God to put you in those situations where your reputation is recognized. Don't be your own best publicist. Don't feel like you have to let everybody else know how great you are, what people's lives you touched, who you reached out to, who you worked hard for, what you did as a husband or a wife or a child or a boss or an employee. We get so often consumed with, I'm not being recognized for who I am. But we fail to realize something. God sees it all. God will not only recognize us, but he will give you what you need. Because you know what? We struggle a lot more than being not noticed. Pride. Boy, pride rears its ugly head so quickly. And we believe our own press releases. And we start to think maybe I am something. <laughs> and we are something in Christ. But it's all because of Christ. So be mindful if you feel like, but nobody notices or recognizes or gives me my due at job, in my home, in my, uh, my neighborhood, in my church even. God knows, and God will give you what he feels like you can handle at the time that you can handle it. But I'm telling you folks, work hard to have a good reputation. 
Work hard with the gifts and abilities God's given you. David was gifted in music. I am not. I took one semester in college of piano because I needed a one credit class. And I learned one song that I basically did with these two fingers the whole song. I don't know how to read music. I enjoy listening to music. I am not a musician. It is not a gift that God has given to me. But you out there all and I have gifts that God's given to us. And I can, I can be upset my whole life that I'm not a great musician, but you know what? I can also rejoice in the other gifts that God gives to me and try to excel in those areas. God's given all of us gifts. You might not even recognize them, but you have them. And enjoy that part of your journey, not thinking, boy, if I only had that other person's ability. So a reputation is worth having, and it's a request worth getting. Doing well and being recognized for it's an awesome thing. To have the king look out and to be able to see. In fact, look with me in verse number 19 now. We listed the things there. In verse 19, therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David your son, Who's with the sheep? Isn't it interesting that even the king's household knew where David was at? Yeah, your son David, the guy that's out with the sheep. Man, what a reputation to have. Now remember, shepherds weren't like, little boys didn't grow up and little girls grow up and go, I can't wait, I wanna grow up and be a shepherd. You think of the girl that they showed the picture of the tannins. Can you imagine if your name meant sheep? Interesting, you know, situation. I don't know what my name means. Probably a good thing, I don't know what my name means. But you, you have this, you know, little kids, they didn't do that. Shepherds smelled Shepherds were nomads. Shepherds had to deal with animals that were dumb. They had to lead them everywhere. They literally had to walk them. Yes, that's dead grass. Over here is the live grass. Come over here, sheep. Oh, yeah, thank you. Okay. I mean, shepherds had to break some of their sheep's legs and carry them around with them because they're the rebellious ones, just so they would stick with them. Now you know why God calls us sheep. I think we see a lot of correlation in our own on how we get so set on our focus and our ways and on what we want to do in there. So David was noticed, though, as being a shepherd. Hey, I need your son. I want to bring him from the sheep field, the lowly task, and I'm going to have him come up here, and I've heard that he plays well, and I, I need his ability right now. By the way, I think it is a good note when it, we think negatively of Saul, that he recognized he needed help. Folks, don't believe again another lie that if you need help, that you don't really need help. Well, I can't do that because I'm so-and-so. That's a bunch of garbage. God put church like this together because he knows we need each other. He knows we need these resources. And by the way, that's why he doesn't want you to feel like you should be here. <laughs> he wants to tear you apart from here. <laughs> He knows how, how um, vulnerable we are when we're isolated in things. He gives you your word. Why do you think he does, the devil doesn't want you in the word? Because he knows the promises that can remind you and encourage you with the need to be connected. How many verses in the Bible are about the one another's? Bear one another's burdens. You can't do that unless you're with one another. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the character of his friend. You have to be a friend and be with that person. And there's lots more we could go over. So I, I do want to make sure we credit Saul with the fact that he knew he needed help. And David had this amazing opportunity to go to the king's court and play his harp. It was definitely a request worth getting. And then we see in verse number 20 <clears throat> a character that's easily forgotten in this, and that's our helpless father. 
Verse 20, and the Bible says this, and Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. Now, let's back up a little bit. Remember back when the Israelites said, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. You know, all of us have been annoyingly asked about that. If you have children or work with young kids, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need, now, 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 mom, 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 dad, dad, dad. We, you know, that repetition just, it's, it's a haunting sound, not a comforting sound. And the Israelites, hey, Lord, 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 we need a king, 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 we need a king. And he gave him the king. Now remember the warning Samuel gave him? Hey, and by the way, one of the things that's going to happen is they're going to take your kids. They're going to become servants in the king's chamber. And David, Jesse's son, had to go. Now, let's not vilify Jesse either. It's easy to say when he was had all of his sons lined up that he'd forgot a son, you know, so to speak. But his son was doing a responsibility. And you could say that, that he trusted his son to be out there working with the sheep. That's a responsibility he had. He was out there participating. Jesse still loved David. He did not love him. And anybody that's a parent here that's had your child leave, it's hard. It's never easy. Even if you're excited for him, it's hard. I imagine Jesse's heart is, okay, the king's asking, what do you say? Hey, can you send your son? No. No, that's not possible. Because then Jesse may not have been alive anymore. And here's Jesse trying to keep a farm going with all these kids he's got. At least we know he had seven or eight boys, depending. We, some feel he might have lost a son because there's some references to eight. But he had a family he was dealing with. He was trying to be a good Jew and all this. And now the king's saying, I want your son. So he did what any good subject did. He loaded up a donkey for gifts to send to the king, and he sent his son along the way. See, it was a request that couldn't be turned down. And, and by the way, God does ask us of things that are hard at times to say yes to. And I would encourage all of us, even as parents, that make sure we have our kids what God wants for our kids and not what our agenda is sometimes that is the thing that motivates them or guilts them when they don't choose those things. But even as God's children, you may be asked to do something as a Christian that's really hard for you to be able to do, humanly speaking. Again, being a dad of four children, one that's at home and three that are not at home, it's hard when they're away, and yet I'm, I know that they're where God needs them. Does that make it any less lonely at times that they're not around? Absolutely not. But you do the right thing because it's the right thing. And sometimes that's the only reason we do the right thing. But be careful that we don't not do what God wants us to do because we allow fear, stubbornness, pride, or our own agenda prevent us from doing that. And Jesse was a great example here in this little snippet of scripture that when he was called upon to do the job, he sent it, and he didn't even do it reluctantly. Fine, take my son, but that's all you're getting. No, he sent his son along with some other treats for the king. You see an amazing spirit there as he, as he uh, submits himself to the leader that God had put in his life. It's a good example for us. So not only was it a request that couldn't be turned down, but a gift that was greater than a donkey could hold, and that's that he sent his son, the future king, to work in the king's court. And then we see a willing subject in verse 21. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. See, 
David comes to Saul humbly, not arrogantly. Now, who's this guy to call me? I am the future king. You want me to, to, to serve my rival? From everything we read, that was never David's attitude towards, towards Saul, ever. You think about some of the people that are your competitors and the attitude that we can get towards them. How about some that are your enemies and the attitude that you get for them. Help us to learn a lesson of a willing subject that David was. Because right now, in the hierarchy of things, he knew that Saul was God's man until, Saul, until God took Saul out of the picture. And so David, when called to do that, became that willing subject. And folks, we need to be that willing subject of the Lord. That when God calls us to do it, we go, okay, Lord, not, you mean for him? You mean there? You mean that person? You mean forgive in that situation, are you kidding me, God? Where God guides, <clears throat> God provides. And if you struggle with the attitude, then you simply go, Lord, you're gonna have to help me in this one. Because <laughs> humanly speaking, I'm gonna struggle. Now David, he was a willing subject. Now I think it's interesting that not only did God pick David, but you see that Saul fell in love with David his rival, so to speak. And not only did he fall in love with him, but he gave him tools of the trade that could have easily taken his life so you see that he trusts him. I mean, he was his armor bearer. He could have turned around. In fact, later on when Saul is actually at a point of near death, what happens? His armor bearer is the one he asked to kill him. So he had the weapons that were there. He could have turned on the king. So you see a trust there that came along with that love that was there. He was loved by the king. And when I, as soon as I wrote that down in my notes, I thought of that song, <laughs> that we're loved by the king. And it just hit me for a moment how I get so caught up in my life sometimes that I forget that the king of the universe loves me. And he loves you. And that he loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Earthly kings are all about the power they can have and the authority that they can have and the control that they can have and the riches that they can pile up and the number of miles of territory that they can oversee. But our God, instead of wiping out this planet, redeemed us so that someday when my eyes close in death, I'm going to open them and see my God who loved me so much he made this amazing planet for me to enjoy. But then in my sin, he sent a savior that I might have eternal life when I was so undeserving of it. David was loved by God, but he was loved by an earthly king, but it's a reminder to us about how much God loves us. And then we see as we continue on there in verse number 22, and Saul, um, Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he's found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand, and Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. See, we also see that this willing subject was used by God to comfort his king the man that would be his enemy, the man that was his rival. It's ironic, but again, what a lesson to us. Many times God's gonna call you to love the unlovable. God's gonna call you to forgive the unforgivable. God's gonna call you to go places that seem daunting and overwhelming, 
But that God will never send you on a path that he won't accompany you on as well. So how are we going to live this out, folks? There's always consequences to our actions. So think before you act. There's always consequences to our actions. So think before you act. That's our first takeaway I want you to focus on as we wrap up this message. See, Saul lost the kingdom because of his choices. He lost the kingdom because of his choices. So how many times in life do we not think, we just act? We just kind of go at it, move forward, accomplish our task, and we need to be reminded, folks, you need to think through a decision, so if I make this decision, where is it gonna lead? Because many times we make decisions and we get down the road and go, how did I get here? I can't believe the damage I did. We wake up and we look in the mirror and go, who am I? See, if we will understand that God gives us people around us to help us on our journey. We were not intended to be independent the way we think we are. God knew that we didn't handle that well. That's why one of the reasons the Spirit of God is here. And I love it. God put that still, small voice. Sometimes I wish God would yell in my ear because I know I'm thick-headed. I had a friend of mine say one time, yeah, I'm the kind of guy, I just need to get hit in the back of the head with a two-by-four. Yeah, I understand that. Sometimes I need a heavenly two-by-four, I think, hit in the back of the head. And yet, his word reveals those things if I'll be in it so I can know it. And then God does this amazing thing. So he gives us the Spirit of God, he gives us the word of God, and then he puts the body of Christ around us so that you have brothers and sisters in your life that can be the voice of God to go, whoa. Or sometimes they're that armor on our shoulder that says, you're gonna make it. Sometimes they're the kick in the butt that we need. Sometimes they're the listening ear. Sometimes they're that voice of truth into our life. See, so there's consequences, though, to our actions, so think before you act. Number two, there are benefits to doing well, so strive to thrive. Do the best of whatever God gives to you. You get to a room, and you're gonna use the room. When it's done, clean up better than you got there. You be the better driver. You be the better spouse. You be the better child. You be the better employee. You be the better church member. You be the best you can be at whatever God gives you to do. Because once you get into that mode like, oh man, how come I, you're going down a very treacherous path. But I, but I, but me, but my. There are benefits to doing well, so strive to thrive. Whatever it is, whatever age of life you're at, whatever station and place, we want to strive to thrive. Third thing, there are hard choices we must make, so seek God. Who's the one that you're daily seeking to serve? You don't just naturally seek God, folks. You've got to choose to seek God. You don't just naturally go on your life and run your path and then all of a sudden, wow, these things happen. You make choices along the way. You have to say no to certain things and you have to say yes to certain things. And we need to make sure that we're striving as we make those hard choices to seek God. Now here's the challenge many of us have. Do you think, do you take God and his plan into consideration as you make choices? Well, I don't know that God's right on this one. Well, the Bible doesn't say exactly, 
I'm convinced that if we tap into the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the body of Christ, that we will be fine in the choices that we make and seek God. And then last, <clears throat> there are impacts that we can make. So obey God. There's going to be impacts you are making every single day. Some noticeable and some not very noticeable, but there are always choices you're making and you're impacting others. Some of them will regret. Some God will use to spur us. I had a friend I went to college with. His name was Warren. Warren and I did skits together. Warren and I laughed together. He was a jokester. Those of you who knew Pee Wee Herman, anybody know Pee Wee Herman? He could do Pee Wee Herman impressions really good. Uh, just lots of fun that we had. And, and Warren graduated from college and became a youth pastor in Indiana, and Warren got cancer. Warren's probably was a little younger than I was. And one time, out of the blue, Warren popped up in my office when I was over at Faith in Sellersville and popped in and said he was, came out, a, a friend of his from work, and that he just missed some of these old friendships and would love to rekindle that and, and just you know, said, hey, let's keep better in touch. And I thought, wow, I mean, did he take that trip and take the time to pop in and spend, he wasn't there long, 20 minutes, prayed together, chatted, caught up a little bit, and he was on his way. And I heard about six months later that Warren got cancer. And the Spirit of God prompted me, John, you need to go out to Indiana. You just need to be there, be an encouragement to him. But I had a hundred reasons why. I didn't want to deal with death. I didn't know what to say. I mean, I didn't really have the money. I mean, all these reasons. But I knew God wanted me to do that. And Warren passed away, and I never did see him. But I'll tell you what, that was a motivation to me that when God prompts you about connecting with people, you do it. And I don't know what things I missed along the way because I didn't obey, but it's a reminder to me about decisions that I make. And I could give you, unfortunately, many times that I didn't do what I knew God wanted me to do. And there are bearing repercussions in my life even to this day. But I can also tell you that there's choices that I made, that I listened to the voice of God, and that there's these amazing repercussions in a positive way as a result of it. Starting a church was the scariest thing that I could ever think about being a part of. And yet when I look back and being a part of what God's done over the last nine plus years and the journey that we've been on and the lives that have been impacted, man, I am so glad I didn't miss out on what God had by being a part of being able to see God get a church established here in the Upper Perk Valley. Praise the Lord for that. And I'm encouraging all of us at the end of the day, this is what matters. Will we or won't we obey God? You know what to do most of the time, folks. So you've got to choose then to do it. See, Saul had to decide what to do. Jesse had to decide what to do. David had to decide what to do. And you and I have to decide what to do. Am I going to obey God or not? And you make that choice multiple times a day, and as a result, you impact people in multiple ways in a day. So how will we impact others for the Lord? Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. Actually, Lord, sometimes I'm not. <laughs> sometimes, Lord, I don't like the way that it impacts me, at least temporarily, Lord because I'm stubborn and proud at times, and I'm grateful for your mercy and your grace. I'm grateful, Lord, that you allowed me to be your child. And Father, I just pray that as we look at this passage, that we will be permanently impacted by it, God. That it won't just be another story that has tragedy and triumph, 
that, Lord, that it'll impact us because of the principles. You put this in the Bible for us for today. So help us, Lord, to grab a nugget. Help us to go to a brother or sister and ask them to hold us accountable to how we can live out better your word, Lord. Help us not to be willful milk drinkers, but be willing to be meat eaters and to do the hard stuff and be the warriors that you intend and have called us to be, God. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the way that can guide, it can comfort, it can encourage us on our day-to-day journey. In your precious name, amen.